And um, I, re- I had a testimony someone gave me just yesterday. In fact, the Bowden family, a Bowen uh, family, Charles and uh, his precious wife and, and Deborah, uh, they lost someone very to them, very close to them. And uh, you heard the tragedy of the, of the shooting of the 30-year-old school teacher, um, Chad, member of our congregation. Uh, many of you have not had a chance to meet him because we have these multiple services, but just such an outstanding young man impacting so many lives. His funeral was here, and we had the largest crowd for a funeral that we've ever had. There were over 2,000 people parking all up and down Wallaceville. I mean, parking lot jammed. They still haven't found the perpetrators, uh, whoever did this or been able to address that. But this tragedy, and I thought as I was talking to to Charles and Gwendolyn yesterday, his mom and dad, by phone, and uh, they just mentioned, thank you, Pastor, for teaching on elevation. It, it, it moved my heart. I'll tell you why it did, because here's a 30-year-old son that has been so elevated by God that at the age of 30, whenever you think that you've got your whole life in front of you, he's already impacted so many people, he's in his home stretch and doesn't even know it yet. I mean, how many of us could touch so many people that if, if God called us home tomorrow, that there would be that many people show up for our funeral? And I, I know pastors that have been in ministry years and years and years and years and years and pastored many congregations. That doesn't happen anymore in today's world where that many people show up to attend someone's homegoing service. It just doesn't happen. The outpouring of this community was exceptional because of the impact of this young man. And the testimonies were from his students. And there were so many educators here, uh, people from the school board, uh, teachers from the schools, students. And the students were saying he was our favorite teacher. That, that's such an incredible testimony because he carried the gospel with him wherever he went. Amen. And I bless God for that. And we continue to pray for the family. And, of course, the church our size, we're having funerals every single week, multiple funerals. But and we pray for all of those that, that, uh, who's, who suffer loss. But I just thought it was so exceptional um, that... God used that young man the way that he did. Even congressional letters uh, from our representatives and from the mayor's office and from so many churches. And I mention all of this to you because you don't know, you just don't know who's watching you. You just don't know the impact you might be having. And in this series that I'm in, I'm talking about elevation. And I'm, I'm right now talking about the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority. And I said, if you master one of these, it will transform your life. It will. You master two or three, when you walk in the room, people will shut up when you walk in. You master more than that, they will not only shut up when you walk in, they'll stand up and give you seat, give you room, let you walk by, give you their chair. And they'll talk about you when your back is turned, but it won't be like this. You know what I'm talking about? It'll be like there's a world of difference in those two. Amen. They'll talk about you because they see such incredible favor on your life. And I want to get into that in just a moment. I'm talking about level number two, when I've, which is 
authority within a family structure. I spoke earlier about authority uh, over yourself. And uh, as the first two levels, all of the other ten levels of spiritual authority are actually built upon the foundation of these two, authority over self and authority within the home. I'll get to that in just a moment. But we also have a special guest with us today that I want to give a few moments to. And I wish he had time to preach and share more time. But uh, I need to be in the pulpit this morning because uh, Easter's coming just up right away. And I've got a meeting um, I have to be doing overseas and be missing some time here just uh, very shortly, uh, a weekend. You notice I've been trying to be here every single weekend. Yeah. Amen. And doing my best to be, even though I'm traveling doing a lot of meetings, and um, um, uh, David Wako is a young man from Uganda, He's, he was sent to America, educated in, in upstate New York, came to Houston, and was a part of our congregation, and I'm his spiritual father, he calls me Papa, and looks at me as his spiritual dad, I'm honored that he does so, way back years ago, we went to Uganda, David went back home, felt the call of God to go back home, and we did a crusade in a remote place that didn't even have electricity, and where there were no churches, the gospel had not been preached, went back to his village, his dad got saved in that meeting, there were 250 people, I think, or so that got saved in, in that meeting, and that was the start of that church, and David Wako has now built three churches, and they have an additional seven or eight home churches, so now he's leading 10 or 12, uh, 11 churches, however many it is, training pastors, the ministry is growing. I want you to welcome David Wako as he comes to greet us this morning. Would you do that right now? David, love you, buddy. Come on up here. Amen. And you may not know this, David is a part of the royal family, the royal Buganda family in Uganda, uh, from which Uganda gets its name. And um, in our close, David, glad you're here. If the ushers don't mind, I forgot I to do this. Would, would they come forward right now and just pass out offering envelopes? We're going to receive him an offering. We're going to give him a few minutes to, to greet the congregation, but I want us to receive a special love offering for him. Let God speak to you. You can listen while he's talking. And they're, they're handing you envelopes. You can multitask, can't you? I see women going down the freeway doing this while they're driving. And... Go ahead, Dave. How beautiful on the mountain is at the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, and who say to Zion, your God reigns. I bring your greetings this morning from Uganda, Africa. Several years ago when I first came to America, actually it was 1987, most people didn't know that Uganda was a country somewhere in Africa until you mentioned Idi Amin. They said, oh, that's the country. So Uganda wasn't known for anything else but Idi Amin. Idi Amin was a, dicta a dictator and did so many atrocities in the nation of Uganda, but we thank God that today, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Uganda today is shining, and the gospel is being preached every day. Amen. 
March of 1997, when I was living in Houston here and I was a member of this church, I spoke to Papa and I told him that I felt God was calling me to go back to my home country. And the first thing I wanted to do was to go and preach before I could entirely move back. So I asked him if we could go together and preach. And he was so kind enough that he obliged to my request and we went. And we preached for 11 consecutive days. And it was in that crusade that my father came to give his life to the Lord. And many other people. And he donated a piece of land where we constructed our first mother church. Out of that crusade, 250 people gave their lives to the Lord. Papa came back here to the States. I stayed back to Uganda for four months just to see that we could prepare to organize the establishment of a church. When I came back here, I couldn't settle in the States here. I used to sit on those pews just around there. That was my usual spot right there. But I couldn't settle because my heart, God was calling me to go back. And I told the Papa and my family that I felt ready to go back. Well, the following year, November of 98, we packed up our bags, we resigned our jobs, and we went back to Uganda. I thank God for Christian Tabernacle that since 1998, you have stood with us through your prayers and through your financial support. We have three churches that we oversee and about seven home cell groups which are churches within themselves. We have a Christian school with over 300 students and several orphans, around 107 orphans that are being sponsored. And I thank God that Christian Tabernacle of the 170 children, this church is sponsoring 20 of them. And I just want to thank God this morning that the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is being preached not only in Uganda, but the entire continent of Africa. I remember many years ago, I used to hear people call Africa a dark continent. It wasn't dark because we have a black complexion. But it was dark in the spiritual sense. But as the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached, Uganda is, and Africa is becoming a lighthouse for God. And I just want to thank God for the leadership of this church, Papa and all the other pastors, and many of you and all of you for praying for us. Truly, we take much courage doing what we do in Africa because we know there are people praying for us. I remember when we first went back to Uganda, so many people didn't think it would last even for a whole month before coming back. Some people said, David, you've lived in America for many years. We don't think you'll make it back in Uganda. I said, well, God has called me. And if he's called me, he'll give me the grace. He'll give me his provision. He'll take care of us. And that's exactly what God did, took care of us. And I just want to encourage each and every one of you. Because the Bible in the book of Matthew, chapter 5 and verse 13, it says that we are the salt of the earth. And I'm not a scientist, though I'm an an agronomist by profession. But there are a few things I know about salt. It brings flavor. 
My wife is a, a caterer by profession. If she makes a mistake to cook food and forget to put salt there, yuck. <laughs> and you know something? That's exactly how we sound to the world. If we don't proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we don't become the salt that God has told us to be, so that when the world takes on what we have, they say, for sure, you have the real thing. And you know today the world is tasting so many things. And then I hear people say, you know, we don't have the answers to all these problems. That's a lie. We have the answers. And the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is not President Obama. The answer is not what the, the White House does or doesn't do. I remember when I first came on this trip, my friend came to pick me up at JFK Airport. Actually, I've been here. It was two months yesterday, but I've been up north. He came to pick me up from JFK Airport. As we were driving through New York, my friend, you know, we talked about a bunch of stuff. We talked about the church. We talked about business. We talked about families and everything. And then he said, you know what, Brother David? We're in a bad shape in America here. I said, why? He said, boy, the economy is really, really bad. Things are really going bad in America here. And I said to him, I said, I don't know about that. If a Ugandan was here with me right now, I don't think he would believe that the economy is really bad in America here. I don't think the economy is really bad. I think the church really needs to rise up to its and take its rightful position. Because if we put all our hopes in the economy, if we put all our hopes in the monies, then we have our hopes in the wrong place. Our hope must be in Jesus Christ. Because guess what? David said, I was young, and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken Neither their children begging bread. The truth is, the truth is, I don't care how the economy gets bad, God will take care of us. And I just want to encourage you, church in America, because America has always sent missionaries to us in Africa and many parts of the world. But sometimes the sudden is most of us people in Africa, the stories we hear what's going on in America today. And I've been up north, and I don't mean to judge or to criticize, but at least a few places I have been. And God really showed me that it seems like America is getting away from its foundation. Many of us, we have read the American history, that America was established on biblical principles, on the word of God. But nowadays they tell you, you can't talk about God here, you can't talk about God here, you can't talk about God. Where are we going to talk about him? And let me just say this as I go to see it. Here, it's like a gas station. We come here just to be refilled. You don't drive a car at the gas station. After it has been filled up, it has to go. After we have been filled up here, we have to go out there and tell them about Jesus Christ. 
I don't know what you are doing at your place of work. I don't know what you are doing in your homes. I don't know what you do in your schools or the places where you work. If you are not talking about Jesus Christ. Because the moment we stop talking about Jesus Christ. We give the devil gap and he comes in and takes over. Let me tell you something. Let nobody tell you not talk about Jesus. Because the Bible says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. So where they don't want us to talk about Jesus Christ, that's where we should go and talk about him. I want to thank Papa. When I was preparing to come on this trip to the States, he asked me, he said, please come and share with us about what God is doing. God is doing great things in our part of the world. And I want to give a personal invitation. Please come. Come and see what the Lord has done. Thank you for the finances and the prayers. But it makes a whole lot of difference when you come and see where investment has gone. There are many people in Uganda you'll never get a chance to see perhaps in this life. But one day when we get to heaven, they'll be so glad that you didn't only pray, but you also gave. Because your giving gave them an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Papa, thank you for believing in me. And thank you for being a father to many of us in Africa and other parts of the world. You know, sometimes we all need somebody to believe in us. I've gone through stuff in my life, in my family. And I knew that some of my friends gave up on me. But Papa never gave up on me. And many others. And I just want to encourage you this day. Please shine for Jesus. And let your light shine that men may see the glory of God and his works in you. Uganda wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't the gospel of Jesus. And I want to say thank you on the behalf of all the Ugandans. Thank you for praying and thank you for giving. God bless you. Extend your right hand toward David. Extend your right hand toward him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless David Wako and the ministry, Panao Ministries in Uganda, Africa, and what they're doing throughout East Africa. We pray favor and blessing and an open heaven. We pray finances and the release of an anointing upon them that will break every yoke, that souls can be saved, and that they will raise up young men and women that will become leaders in that community and in that country that will help point people to God and will take that nation in the direction you intended for it to go. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. 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 Thank you, David. Love you, son. Bless you. Amen. Amen. I want our ushers to come right now. I want you to pray about what you'll give and ask God to lay something on your heart. I know, in fact, uh, I, I didn't realize it. I know today is, is uh, spring break weekend. We have so many people that are out of town, so many that are traveling. My family is, is, is all away vacationing. <laughs> and here I am preaching at home. I'll tell you what happened when, the, when Jesus cast the demons out of that guy that was a demoniac and they went down into the swine. Where'd the swine go? They went down to the beach. That's what happens when you get the devil in you. 
I'm saying that because I'm not with them. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. You can multitask. So I'm reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And God raised us, everybody said, up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Luke chapter 9 verses 1 and 2, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I've been teaching this year elevate your life. That's our theme. And I've also been teaching you that you cannot elevate your life without understanding the complexities of the spiritual dimension that are responsible for making your life be elevated. We're elevated in the heavenly realms. That's what Ephesians declares. But there is an enemy who doesn't want you to manifest in this realm the elevation that God has destined you to experience. So he sets out with a separate agenda, with his own plans and strategy, to abort any plan that God has to see that your life is blessed. And then whether or not he succeeds in your life or God succeeds then depends upon this. What do you do with the authority God has given you? Do you put the enemy in his place and say, I cancel every assignment. I break every weapon in two. I cancel every negative word you've spoken over my life. And I release the favor of God and proclaim that because he is Lord, every word he has spoken will come to pass. Every word that he's spoken about me will be fulfilled. You have to take authority in your life, and that's why I'm teaching the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority. And there are 12. <clears throat> At the present, I'm talking about family, authority within the family, rather. I spoke on that last week. And within that context, I want to read again our text from last week, Nehemiah 4, verses 13 through 18. Therefore, Nehemiah says, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the opening, and I set the people according to their families, and their swords, their spears, and their bows, or with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked, and I arose, and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it, came, and it, and it happened... When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction. While the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and war armor, those who carried the burdens and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. And those who built on the wall, rather, and those who carried the burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Now I want you to picture this. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. Jerusalem has been decimated. Many of the people have been led away in the captive, those that have survived. And now, 70 years later, this is what is happening. There are two different groups of people who have returned from Babylon, one to rebuild the temple and one to rebuild the wall. Now what is happening here is that both of these men are commissioned by the king in Babylon at different times. One comes to build the wall, then the other the temple. Nehemiah's assignment is to rebuild the wall. And so he brings with him 
people that have been away in captivity, thus fulfilling the prophet Jeremiah that after 70 years they would return and that God would cause his people to return to their land. This has now become a reality. Nehemiah sets the people to rebuilding the wall because of the fact that you have no defenses and there are people, uh, specifically Sanballat, Tobiah, some of the others, that did not want Jerusalem to be reconstructed. Jerusalem is a type of the church. Sanballat, his crew, Tobiah, it's a type of the enemy and the demonic horde that would try to destroy what the kingdom of God is trying to build up. And so this is what he does. Nehemiah, he sets men at the wall and puts their families behind them. The man is working here on the wall. Directly behind him is his wife, his children, and those who depend upon him. And outside is this circling horde of the enemy trying to get in. And he tells the people, you fight with one hand and hold your sword. And you hold a trowel in the other which is used to apply mortar. And you build the wall with the other hand. Wow, what a picture. Because the same wall that is going to defend your family is the wall that's going to also defend the church. Jerusalem is a type of the church. When you build up the wall of the church, you're protecting your family. You see that? And when you build up the wall protecting your family, you're also building up the wall of the church. The two cannot be separated. You can't have a strong family without your church. And you can't have a strong church without families. And so as we look into this subject today, I want us to realize that when I talk about authority within the home, once again, I'm not here to preach to put all the wives in their place like some of you feared I might do last weekend. And as I've shown you rather that in the New Testament it's somewhat different than in the Old. The Old Testament, the man alone was priest to his family. New Testament, Galatians, Paul tells us there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. There's only one gender and that is a new child of God. That is the body of Christ in the earth. Both are priests in the homes, though the man, watch it now, is the priest within the home that has the position of responsibility to answer to God. The wife also serves in a priestly capacity. Many times people have stripped the woman of that role and then the men have abrogated their responsibility and gone off to do whatever they're going to do and it's left nobody to guard the, 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 the family. Thank God for the women who in spite of the fact had been taught, taught that you do not serve a priestly role still manage to be priests within their homes in the form of intercessors and Bible teachers. But again, the primary role, uh, the head priest of that home, the, the priestly uh, uh, role that is to be the head of the home, that was assigned to the man. And more and more, I thank God that the men of this church are coming to understand that there is no safety for my family unless I, I'm holding the sword. Mama's not supposed to be holding that sword. I'm supposed to be holding it. That sword is the word of God. And so I need to build up the church. I'm not sending mama to church on Sunday morning. I'm going fishing, watching the football game. I'm holding the sword today. I'm preaching to anybody yet. Talking to anybody. That's the only way I'm going to protect my family. Now on all of this, I want to make this clear, and then I'm going to dive into this. I don't have but a few minutes. I want you to know I'm not saying that when you have authority in the home that you're not going to have some problems. Teenagers are going to still be teenagers. And men will still be boys with bigger toys. 
Come on, help me out, guys. Hey, you know I'm preaching to you right now. Amen. Mother-in-laws are going to still be mother-in-laws. In fact, did you hear the one about the two mothers here appeared before King Solomon dragging a young man? Both mothers were saying that he promised to marry their daughter. And so one woman says, he promised to marry my daughter. And the other woman said, no, he didn't. He promised to marry my daughter. And they were fighting over that. And finally, King Solomon said, enough already, please. Calm down. Bring me my biggest sword, and I'll cut the young man in half like I was going to do with that baby that time, and I'll give each of you a half, and that way you can take him home to your daughters. And so one lady said, sounds good to me. The other woman said, oh, sire, do not spill innocent blood. Let the other woman's daughter marry him. The king did not hesitate a moment. He said, the man must marry the first woman's daughter that said, sounds good to me, cut him in half. And the, the court said, how can you do that? He said, well, it's obvious she's the real mother-in-law. She was willing to cut him, to ha cut him in half. <laughs> she's the true mother-in-law. That's the real one right there. I, the wisdom of Solomon figured that out. Amen. And so I want you to understand that you're going to still have some, some challenges. But what I'm talking about is you understanding your role when challenges come, that you have the authority to tell those challenges, back up, shut up, sit down. I'm not talking about talking to people like that. I'm talking about the, the spirits behind all of that, your prayer closet, and take the authority of the Word of God and say, we're in charge here, not you. And I cancel every word and every assignment that you've spoken, enemy, and every word God has spoken, I release it and claim it will come to pass. His word does not return to him void. Last week I gave you ten reasons that the family is vital in God's structure in the earth, why it's so important. Today I want to talk about one of the most important things that has to do with family, and that is its role in judgment. The family's role in judgment. There are seven levels of judgment. Seven is the number of completion. There are seven levels of judgment that exist in the Word of God. I need to say this before I get in to all of that. The Bible is an amazing book. I discovered the more I read it and the longer, I, I read through the whole book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes again this week just taking notes on the incredible wisdom that is in both of these books. And, and, and it's, it, it's amazing. The more I read it and the more I study it, the more I am just absolutely amazed by it. It's 66 books, 100, or 1,189 chapters, 31,173 verses, and 807,362 words are like a huge, gigantic jigsaw puzzle poured out on the floor. And when you first look at that mountain of pieces, you look at it and say, what in the world? How does that make sense to me in the year 2013? They claim there are something like around 30,000 different words of vocabulary actually used in the Bible. And uh, that's what I read one time. And this, this, this massive amount of 30,000 words put together into actually 807,000 and some odd printed words on the page. I mean, imagine putting that jigsaw puzzle together if you didn't even have a, the picture on the box cover to go by. It would take you weeks to even find the first corner and find a piece that might be the edge. And you spend, that's how it is in studying the Bible. When you first begin to study the Bible, you say, how is this going to apply to my life? What meaning could this possibly have to me? 
I live in a modern world. What is all? I don't care about David and Goliath and all. And you read that, and, and you're looking at that wondering, but you keep persevering because if you do, after a while, out of the pages of the Bible and out of the stories of the Bible, principles will begin to emerge. And that's when it becomes, begins to become powerful now. And, and then out of the principles, after a, after a while, after some time of study, and it may take years, then out of the principles, certain other keys will begin to emerge. And these are kingdom keys that are vital to your life. And then one day, you stop and you say to yourself like I have done, wow, all of this was in there and I didn't even know it. This book contains the formula not for telling me how to live my life, you know, and thou shalt not and trying to control me or dictate my moves. This book contains the wisdom of the ages that helps me fulfill my destiny. And that's where I'm at right now. All of a sudden, you, but you realize this stuff is emerging. And it's not about the stories or even the characters of the Bible. It's about the truth and the principles that are contained and the keys that those truths and principles contain. Now, having said that, moving back to my, my point, you're not going to find in any chapter in the Bible seven levels of judgment. You're not going to find them saying this is level one, two, and three, but I'm going to go through them quickly. When you have read the Bible enough that these things begin to emerge, then you look back and you realize, wow, I didn't realize, but there are seven levels of judgment that are contained in Scripture. And you're going to see this in just a moment, and they're powerful. God has set this up in such a way that every conflict or issue is meant to be resolved at the lowest level possible. Why? The lower the level, the lesser the penalty that is required for having violated it or being in the wrong. The higher you go up through these seven levels in this continuum, the more severe the penalties become. And this is why, as I'm going to show you, the family is so important because it's level number two. Let's go through this. And so, the first level that we come to in judgment is judgment of self. 1 Corinthians 11 and 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Amen. And you see, this is what God ultimately wants us to do. Is know this book so well that we can compare our lives with this book and say, this is where I'm out of alignment and need to get back in alignment with the Word of God. Amen. The problem is, is that many times we don't judge ourselves. But if we would, you know where the least pain is contained in addressing a failure? It's when you address it within yourself. You don't wait until it gets out there in the public and the community, but you address it within yourself. It's a whole lot easier to deal with it then. For example, a person struggling with, with addictive problems or self-medicating, you know, it, it's a whole lot better to address that on your knees in prayer than wait until you picked up with a DUI. Come on, help me out now. And you appear on the news looking like Nick Nolte did that time. You know what I'm talking about? You don't want all of that. Amen. And folks saying, well, I thought he was such a fine, upstanding Christian here. Uh -uh, you, don't, you don't want to have to be on the 6 o'clock news before you finally start addressing your stuff. 
Amen. You address it before it gets that far. There's a lot less pain involved. Amen. And, but if you don't, this is what you need to know. Every issue that you do not address at a lower level does get kicked up to a higher one. You need to understand this. Because so many times people think, oh, that person did me wrong. They're not going to ever get called or pay for it. Don't you kid yourself. You don't get out of here without God balancing his books. I, I just need you to know that. The wheels of justice grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. Amen. Yes, they do. Amen. I'm thinking again of Chad Bowen, this fine young man. Somebody said they hadn't caught the perpetrators of of this yet. Uh, if they never do, just trust me. Trust me when I tell you. It's better to get caught here than it is to wait until you deal with it before him. Trust me when I tell you that. Amen. Which is why you should never wish judgment on anybody. Uh-uh. God's going to balance the books at the end of the day. You just be patient and keep your mouth shut. Don't you judge anything before the time. That's what Paul said. Second level of judgment is judgment within the family because if you don't address it within your own life, the first people who are supposed to talk to you, who are supposed to come around you and help you through a matter are your own family. Amen. You know why God put the family so foundational in this and foundational in all of this is because nobody can love you like your family can love you. Amen. As dysfunctional as it may be, you don't get out of family. You hear what I'm saying? Oh, you can be raised where they're shouting and hollering and cussing at each other. Amen. Let somebody step in the middle of that and they all jump on him. You know what I'm talking about? Ask any law enforcement officer that's a member of this congregation what the thing that they fear the most is. Is it a bank robbery? Uh-uh. Is it a holdup? Is it pulling over somebody with a DUI? No, 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 no. It's when they're called to a home to deal with domestic disturbances. Because when you get in the middle of all of that, you don't, they both turn on you then. I'm serious. Amen. I've heard some stories. Oh, yes, I have. I mean, don't you lay a hand on that man. That's my man. He was hurting me a moment ago, but I'll hurt you if you hurt him. I know I called 911. That was to scare him. Don't you lay a finger on him. You know what I'm saying? I'll hurt you. I got a knife. I'll cut you. That's what I'll do. I mean, our law enforcement officers, they learn early. Amen. You want to fix it first in you, but if you don't, the family's there. But if a person is struggling with an issue, I just need to tell you this. You know, they will learn to divide family. And this is where unity is so important in terms of, of churches and people and society. Because division, I've never seen a problem. Never seen a problem that division and talk could not make worse. Hear what I'm saying right now? I don't care how bad it was. Just add a little gossip into it. It can get worse. A little division. Start choosing sides. Amen. First of all, if you've ever dealt with stuff like this, you know that when a person has an issue that they don't want to address, they become masters at dividing. They'll run game on their own family. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. They will pit one against the other. You ever hear a celebrity intervention? I'm going to be Dr. Drew right now. 
Before you ever go in for intervention, they get all the family together, all the stakeholders together. And you know what they tell them? They tell them you all get on the same page. Because once you get in there, when a person has a problem, they learn to manipulate both ends against the middle. I'm preaching a lot better right now than some of you are responding. Oh, yes, they will. They'll get you fighting among yourselves and detract attention away from them. Well, they can keep on doing their stuff. Yes, they will. I've seen it, and so have you. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. And all of a sudden, you don't forgot what their problem is because you're mad at the person across the room now. And you're supposed to be there agreeing and helping each other. Don't you let that happen. Because if you don't fix it in the family, here's what happens. It gets kicked up to the next level, which is level number three. And that level is the judgment of peers and social group. And if a family can't fix... What a man couldn't fix, you know what they do? They then call in his, fa- his, his brother, uh, you know, his comrades, I should say, his social group. He, he call in his, his dogs, if you please, you know what I mean? <laughs> he, he, they call in the buddies from, the, from down the street and all of that. Guys you grew up with and they all sit down. But once again, you need to be on the same page. Amen. Because you can't help somebody if there's division. The Bible actually teaches you're supposed to do this. Matthew 18, 15 through 16. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. This doesn't mean your actual brother or sister. It's now talking about your social group. Go and point out their fault. Uh, Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established in the testimony of two or three witnesses. i got to say something about that. You having a spirit of suspicion is not being a witness. Amen. I know some folk don't need the gift of discernment. they got the gift of suspicion. Amen. Amen. Both of them operating me together, they work real well. Eh? No, I'm joking with you right now. Because that's what the position some would take. Amen. What I'm saying is, when you have evidence that there's something going on, not suspicions, you've got to watch it. You've got to know what you're talking about. You don't want to wound somebody with accusations that have no foundation. But whenever you can't deal with it in yourself, gets kicked up to the family, they can't deal with it, then friends are going to have to come along level number three, and they're going to have to try to help you with it. And if you can't be helped there, guess what happens then? It gets kicked up to the next level, number four, which is the judgment of the church, Matthew 18 and 17. Where after 18 verses 15 through 16, where you go to them as a friend, the next step is this. Listen to this. Verse 17, if they still refuse, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then you treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Mm, mm, mm. It's getting harsh now, amen. (laughs) What's God saying? Let me give you the overall strategy that I have employed through the years as a pastor. Because I know some folk, every little thing, they want me to step up here on this platform and straighten somebody out. I've never taken issue to the platform. Never. You hear me preach something and you got that going on in your life? That was just God dealing with me because I don't take issues to the platform. Never. Never have, never will. Don't respect anybody that does that. Amen. You going to get up there and act like you God when you already know what's going on? God told me God didn't tell you anything. You've been gossiping. That's what you've been doing. Amen. Amen. And I need a word from God, not a word of gossip. 
I really am preaching better than some of you. Preach it, Richard Hurd. Go ahead. Amen. I can't get some of you to respond. That's all right. I'm in my groove right now. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You got to address it. And then if you can't address it there, this is the problem. Level number five is where it gets tight and sticky. This is where it gets tough. Because if you can't solve it within yourself, solve it in the family, solve it among your peers and social group, and even fix it in the church, here's what happens next. It gets kicked up to the fifth level, which is civil judgment. Trust me, you don't want it going there. Because here's what's the, you love yourself. That's level number one. You, you, you love yourself. Nobody yet hates himself. Level number two, family all love you, no matter what's going on. Level number three, your friends love you. I don't know why sometimes, but they do anyway. You know what I mean? Level number four, the church loves you. I hear folk graphing. You know, that pastor's cruel. He talked to me. My, and my friends, and I thought it was my friend. They tried to tell me. No, it is your friend if they try to tell you. It's not your friend if they don't. And you think, you think they're being unkind? You think pastor's being cruel? Wait a level number five. You don't even know what cruel is. That's when Judge Joe Weaver looks at you and says, You hear what I'm saying? Oh, they're not treating me right. Oh, just wait till you're doing striped sunshine and see how you feel then. You hear what I'm talking about? You can be like Medea and Medea goes to jail. Judges going to say, Bailiff, what time is it? Five to ten. Give her five to ten. Amen. You can, you can, that's when, here, you can cry then. Don't start crying before then. At level number five is where the tears start. But if you can't fix it there, there's another level. Two of them, in fact, level number six. If, you, if they can't fix it through the judicial system, here's what you need to know. That there's another level of judgment called the judgment of angels. And I'm closing with this. I've got, I got to stop. Irvin, you're going to have to come finish it for me here by giving the altar appeal. But you need to understand this. At level number six, it's the judgment of angels. You see, angels are assigned two primary tasks. To bring blessings to the earth or to bring and assess judgment, amen, in the earth. Now watch it, because you need to hear this. You don't want to wait until you like Balaam. Out of the will of God, you wouldn't heed a word to the civil system. Amen. You wouldn't heed a word to the church and to the family. You wouldn't listen to your own conscience, and now you've got an angel standing in the middle of your path that's waiting to kill you when you walk by. You need to understand the role of angels in the earth. Amen. Balaam's foot was crushed against the wall. For the rest of his life, he walked with a limp because angels brought him judgment. Watch it. Whenever God goes down to visit Abraham, he carries two angels with him. Genesis 18. Watch it now. They go into Sodom and Gomorrah and they go to search out. The angels do whether the report that has come to God is correct or not. You don't want angels coming to check you out and see if you got your stuff in order yet. Y'all excuse me while I just say you're doing a good job whether they listen to you or not. 
I need you to hear this. God wants it addressed at the lowest level. Daniel said angels are watchers on assignment from God that stand watching. And if you can't hear what is being spoken to you and address things in your life, one day a part of a hand appears and starts writing, meaning, meaning, tickle you forsen. Meaning you have, your days are numbered. You've been weighed in the balances and found warning. And your kingdom is taken away. Mm. That's a judgment of angels. You don't want to watch or wait till the, the angels say, move aside, Judge Weaver. Let me get in there and take a look at that. Uh-uh. You want to deal with your stuff at the lowest level possible. This is why the family is so strategic in this. And I have to tell you all seven to get close with what I want to say. The seventh level is the great white throne of judgment. If angels can't fix it, if the court couldn't fix it, if friends couldn't fix it, the church couldn't fix it, the family couldn't fix it, and you couldn't fix it, the last level of a judgment, there is no fixing it anymore. That's in Revelation 20 where you stand before the great white throne. I've got all the verses. I don't have time to put them up there. And when you do, this is what the scripture says. Let he that is righteous be righteous still. And let he that is unjust be unjust still. Let he that is filthy be filthy still. There it is on, 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 on the screen right now. What does that mean? At that level, there is no fixing it. This is why God wants it fixed at the earlier and lower levels. Because the penalty is more severe at each level it gets escalated to. What does this mean? Where did he put the family? Right here? No, 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 no. He put it way down here. So that you can look at the circumstances in your family and say, this is God's family. I am a man. I am a woman of God. Child, grandchild. You see, I believe you got the authority to speak to your grandchildren just like you do your kids. Joshua said, as for me and my house, that's not only me, but my 40-year-old kids and their 20-year-old kids, too. That's what that means. Hear what I'm saying. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got a right to speak over their life and say that God has made me the matriarch, the patriarch in this home, and I refuse to allow this home to be attacked by the enemy. And if you have people that remain connected with you, that keep throwing the door open, either God will move them out of the way. I'm really getting serious right now. Or they're going to have to straighten up because they're going to meet one of these angels standing in the middle of the road and they're going to walk like this the rest of their life. Amen. There's a lot more of this that goes on than you realize. Oftentimes things are happening. You're not seeing the spiritual dimension behind it. Amen. And again, God didn't put the church at this level. He, he, didn't, put the, he didn't put the family at this level. He put the family way down here as number two. I want to say this. I don't even have the right to come into your family and mess with you. Why? Because I'm all the way up at level number four. Church is not level number two. And that's why somebody comes in, oh, I'm the man of power, I'm the prophet, I'm going to tell you what to do. You say, hit the road, Jack, don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. You're the authority in your house. Do you hear what I'm saying? Woo! 
God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. And don't you give that, that assignment for anybody. Don't you give up that role for anybody because once you give it up, and you give away that authority, rather it's a rather wonderful, Sister Glorious, or whoever it is, then what's happened is you've lost your ability to resolve it at this level. Stand with me across the building. I'm done. Come join me right now, quickly. Lord, I can't wait to finish this. I was barely able to scratch the surface of this. Everybody, come join me quickly because I've got to run. Amen. If I helped anybody understand this today, we've been close. What you do is you come down that aisle and you recognize the authority that God put in your position. God gave you authority. He gave you power and authority. Devil doesn't have it. You do. Unless you gave it away somewhere. If you did, you know what you do? You go say, I'm taking it back. Taking it back. I've often told you that we have been taught things that are incorrect in the church. And when you live a while, you realize that. For example, God hears everybody's prayer the same. No, he does not. Who told you that? From what Bible did you get that out of? You will not find that in the Bible. I believe that God hears your prayers in your assignment. You're praying for stuff that you don't have any business even getting involved in. Why would God listen to you? Come on, help me out now. Oh, I'm praying that husband and wife will break up so I can marry her. God's going to say, Or better yet, he may just let it break up so you can marry her. And then it's going to be, I need the prayers of those I love. Not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. Uh-huh. God doesn't hear all prayers the same. He hears the prayers that you're assigned to stand in the gap and pray. Which is why if Barack Obama were to bow his knee in the office God has given him, God would hear his prayer for this nation even more than he will mine. Why? Why? Because this is my assignment. The several thousand people that are members here are what I'm assigned responsibility for. But when Barack Obama prays, he prays for 325 million. Now, which one's God going to listen to? That's his assignment. This is mine. On the other hand, Barack Obama cannot pray for this church the way that I can. Because he's not called. And nobody can pray for the people in your home like you can. Nobody. 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 Nobody.